The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to welcome members of our armed forces who are joining us from remote locations around the world, and also new listeners in New Hampshire, Florida, Tennessee, Oregon, California, Georgia, and on other radio stations that are part of our growing national network. Thank you for being with us. In just a moment, popular radio and television host, author, and philanthropist, Tavis Smiley will be here to help us tackle a difficult subject that we've been wrestling with in this country for many generations and one where we occasionally have the feeling is improving only to experience setbacks as we saw in the streets of Philadelphia. And we're going to try to get to the bottom of what continues to fuel racial bias, divisiveness and unrest. But before Mr. Smiley joins the program, as is my custom every week, let me tell you a little about his background. Tavis Smiley was born in Gulfport, Mississippi, and grew up in Bunker Hill, Indiana. He is a graduate of Indiana University. In 1988, Smiley began working for the first African-American mayor of Los Angeles, Tom Bradley. After a brief stint as a radio commentator doing a one-minute daily segment called The Smiley Report... In 1996, Smiley joined the Tom Joyner Morning Show, which also led to a series of town meetings called the State of the Black Union, which aired on C-SPAN. Also in 1996, Smiley began hosting BET Tonight. Then came the opportunity to host the Tavis Smiley Show on National Public Radio, which in 2005, Smiley relaunched on Public Radio International to reach a more diversified audience. Four years later, he revised the second hour of his program to include co-host Cornell West. But Smiley was just getting warmed up. He tackled television by hosting Tavis Smiley on PBS, partnered with Blog Talk Radio, moderated two presidential candidate forums, and even took a stab at Dancing with the Stars. And I would be remiss if I did not mention that in 1999, he formed the Tavis Smiley Foundation, which is committed to training and developing tomorrow's leaders. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report, the man Time Magazine named as one of the 100 most influential people in the world, Mr. Tavis Smiley. Thank you for joining us today, Mr. Smiley. Ms. Costa, I'll call you I'll call you Rebecca if you call me Tavis. Okay. Fair enough. We got a deal? We, we've got a deal. There, All right. There you go. I'm honored to be on. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, thank you for taking time to be with us. Now, there is no question that you are one of the role models that every race holds in high esteem. You rose out of poverty on your own two feet. So I thought a good place to open today's program might be to ask you whether you think it would be more difficult for you to pull yourself out of poverty today. Could you do it again? I'd like to think so. Um, I think that if my life is anything, it's the quintessential example that that um, you can build an entire life uh, out of hope. Um, um, hope, uh, I still believe, springs eternal. But I'm also one who believes, Rebecca, that hope needs help. Um, so hope is a good thing, but in, in, in these days, hope needs help. And what people are really fighting against it's not just poverty, that's bad enough, and it's not even just income inequality, but it's economic immobility. Those three dots have to be connected. Poverty, income inequality, and economic immobility. So the problem is that so many people these days have realized that there's a, how might I put this, there's a, there's a highway into poverty, but barely a sidewalk out. A highway in, but barely a sidewalk out. So I'd like to believe, again, because I have have done this once that you can build a whole life out of hope that others can still do this and as I travel the country and continue to work on this issue of poverty there are examples every day of people who are doing
doing this, uh, but those those examples uh, are not as plentiful as they ought to be in the richest nation in the history of the world. Now, what's changed? I mean, let's say that uh, when you were younger, it wasn't a sidewalk. It was a, a two-lane road, but it certainly wasn't an eight-lane freeway. Right. Um, what, what's caused it to become a sidewalk? That's why that third point of economic immobility is so important, because there have always been people who are poor, and sad to say there will always be some poor in our society. There will always be income inequality. I will never make the kind of money that Bill Gates makes or that Warren Buffett makes, so there will always be some level of income inequality. So those first two, you know, we can, we can, we can have a reasonable conversation about. It's this third leg that is causing such a problem, this, this issue of economic immobility, so that no matter how hard you work, or how many hours you work, or how much education you get, um, or how dutiful you are, you still can't seem to get ahead. And that's why this conversation about you know, how we turn a minimum wage into a living wage across this country is such a such a serious topic. I'm actually um, I'm actually on um, a project right now that we'll be doing uh, a primetime special for PBS. I've done these throughout my uh, tenure as a host on PBS, these, these primetime specials once or twice a year where I look at a particular topic, and I love it because it gets me out of the studio uh, talking to everyday people to try to wrestle with these questions. And, and the, 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 the special that I'm working on now is a special called Getting Ahead. It's called Getting Ahead, and it specifically looks at this fight to raise the minimum wage to a living wage all across the country. And we're going to places like Seattle and here in Los Angeles where I live and other cities in New York. They just passed, just raised the $15 for fast food workers. So we see this movement slowly starting to gain traction to increase uh, this minimum wage that's been stuck for so many years. But to answer your question, though, is that that no matter how hard you work or, or, or how, how diligent and, and, and vigilant you are, you still can't seem to get ahead because this issue of economic immobility is holding people back. Well, I'm a person who works seven days a week. I know you work eight days a week. I mean, everybody I know that's in radio and television and publishing books and pub- doing public speaking and foundation work is, you know, is working around the clock. Um, it, but I, I just have this gnawing feeling that the game's rigged. Yeah, I think the game is rigged, and, and you and I are fortunate because the work that we do, not only, I, I hope, I, mean, I so hope this is my mission, I know it's yours, uh, I hope the work that we do is, is making some sort of difference. I hope the work that we do is, is challenging people to reexamine their assumptions, helping them to expand their inventory of ideas. I hope the work we're doing is introducing Americans to each other and challenging folks to see the world through a different sort of prism. I hope that's what we're trying to do every single day. And yet you and I, uh, while not independently wealthy, are compensated rather well for the work that we do. But what do you say to those people who are working eight hours a day, just like you and just like me, who still can't seem to get ahead because the system is rigged against them, because they aren't paid uh, what, what they are worth, um, women specifically, who still earn cents on the dollar for what men make. I mean, there's so many ways to your point that the system is rigged, and that's essentially why, you know, why I've dedicated my life to trying to do what I do. I, there's no doubt about this one thing, and anybody who has read my work or knows my work knows this because I say it all the time. I regard Dr. King, as in Martin Luther King Jr., as the greatest American this country has ever produced. And my life's role has been and will always be to try to do my small part, my very small part, to try to make the world safe for his legacy. Now, I believe that the future of this country is inextricably linked to how seriously we take the legacy of Martin King. What is that legacy? Justice for all, service to others, and a love that liberates people. Justice for all, service to others, and a love that liberates people. That's the legacy. But to get to that legacy, to make uh, America a nation as good as its promise, we have to deal with these three issues that King called the triple threat facing our democracy. That triple threat, poverty, uh, racism, and militarism. Poverty, racism, and militarism. So if we don't get serious about that triple threat, we'll never get to making this legacy a reality, and America will never become the great nation that it can be. But it starts with doing something for the least among us, because those numbers are growing every day, and these numbers, Rebecca, are just not sustainable. Well, uh, there's no question that uh, the figures uh, in terms of uh, income inequality 
are daunting, mm-hmm. and uh, and they speak of s- deeply embedded systemic issues that have to be attacked, uh, mostly that are very, very complex and difficult to get our arms around. And we have to take our first scheduled break, but when we come back, we're going to find out more about uh, Martin Luther King's um, his description of the th- greatest threat to America, which was this triple threat. Um, so stay, stand by. We're going to hear more from Mr. Smiley. You're listening to the Costa Report. Now, if you've been listening to the Costa Report, you know that I'm on the air each and every week for one reason. It's become very difficult to separate fact from unproven beliefs, and the media, who we used to be able to rely on to tell us the difference, has become one of the worst offenders of all when it comes to making a distinction. But in addition to being on the air, I've written a book which explains why losing a grip on the facts is so dangerous. It eventually culminates in irrational public policy, something many of us worry about today. So I'm urging you to go to RebeccaCosta.com and get your copy of The Watchman's Rattle, an eye-opening book which after the first few chapters you'll be telling all your friends about. That's The Watchman's Rattle at RebeccaCosta.com. Do it now, RebeccaCosta.com. And remember, The Watchman's Rattle. Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Strawberries, blueberries, blackberries, and raspberries. Dole has a bounty of berries ripe for the picking. Fresh berries are not only delicious, but some of the most powerful disease-fighting foods available. Researchers have found that berries have some of the highest antioxidant levels of any fresh fruits. So add a handful or two of your favorite berries to your next meal and enjoy their nutritional benefits and natural sweetness in all of your dishes, from salads to desserts and everything in between. For fresh tips and ideas from Dole's berry experts, visit berries.dole.com. And be sure to check out the pages of mouthwatering recipes. Whether it's a sweet and savory blueberry cranberry chicken salad or a simple strawberry sorbet, Dole has the perfect berry to inspire your next berrylicious dish. Hi, this is Debbie, wife and mother of four. I recently had a wonderful experience with Jim Doty at Onyx Lending. I've brought Jim here today to explain why my experience with Onyx was so different than those in the past. Thanks, Debbie, for having me. Jim, why did it seem like my loan was approved so much faster than they have been in the past? Well, we're not a big, huge corporate bank. We're a family-owned lender. Your file didn't get put on a conveyor belt. It started and ended with me. As you can attest, it makes a difference in your speed and your customer experience at Onyx Lending. Jim, it was absolutely a transaction above all others. I have to say, I was really impressed that I got the rate that you quoted me. Thanks, Debbie. We pride ourselves in hard work and dedication. If one of our listeners was to call in, are they going to get the same service that I received? Of course they will. All right, well, there you have it. Give Jim a call at 844-GO-TO-ONYX. That's O-N-Y-X. Or you can click on our website, onyxlending.com. Equal housing lender, NMLS ID 984885. The sun is high in the sky, which means it's time to get your RV and trailers ready to roll. Hi, I'm Rena Mills, owner of RV Service Center of Santa Cruz, your locally owned RV parts and repair center with over 38 years of service to the Central Coast community. In addition to RV repairs, our qualified staff services and maintains boat, horse, and utility trailers, in addition to toy haulers. We also restore vintage RVs and work hand-in-hand with all insurance companies to ensure that your RV is restored to its original condition. RV owners, RV service will match your insurance deductible with a service voucher of equal value. It's like you pay nothing. Get your RV and trailers ready to roll with the help of your friends at RV Service Center. You'll find us easy to reach and easy to use at 2525 Mission Street, Cross Streets, Mission and Swift Streets in Santa Cruz. Call us at 831-427-0881 or rvscsc.com.
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is popular television and radio host Tavis Smiley. Now, you mentioned the triple threat that uh, Martin Luther King described some 47 years ago, poverty, racism, and militarism. So let's talk about poverty for a moment. Uh, What do you say to experts who attribute the lack of progress for the black community to a failed immigration policy and the influx of Hispanic workers who are competing for the same jobs? Do Do you think that's actually played a role? Yeah, I don't think anybody buys that argument. Um, this is the richest nation, I repeat, in the history of the world. Um, and no matter what our, our, our politics are, we all want to live in a nation, as I intimated earlier, that is as good as it's promised. The problem with America, Rebecca, is that there is a huge gap between the promise of America and the possibility in America for all of our fellow citizens. And we see more and more American corporations shipping jobs abroad but making more profit at home. So I don't think anybody with half a brain buys the argument um, anymore, uh, as if they ever should have, that that black folk are suffering because Hispanics are taking jobs, jobs, quite frankly, that that people, if they had another choice, wouldn't want anyway. I mean, nobody's dying to pick grapes or to, you know, to pick oranges or to – I mean, there's dignity. I want to be clear that Dr. King once said, and he was right about this, there's dignity in all work. There is dignity in all work. And yet, if we had our choice, we'd rather be doing different things with our lives so that when people make that argument, they're acting as if these are jobs that that black people who struggled for so long anyway would want to have first and foremost. So the argument just doesn't hold water. But I believe, again, as a nation with all the resources and the opportunities and uh, Etc. That we can we can do better for all of our citizens, but it, it, there's something called greed, corporate greed, that gets in the way from making that happen. Well, I can't agree with you more. I I remember one summer uh, spending it picking strawberries. Right. And uh, I wasn't a big fan of college at the time, but I sure turned into one. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't wait to get back to school. Yeah, I, I, I can I can imagine. <laughs> I mean, my back hurt, my hands hurt, my feet hurt, and I thought, well, if this is the alternative to college, maybe I better I, I might like to study. And, and it's not even just it's not even just the 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 work. It's uh it's 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 the fact that. We don't want to give these persons health care. It's that we don't want to give them access to a high-quality education. Uh, there's so many other um, opportunities that, that Americans have that we don't want to extend to this worker community, to these undocumented workers specifically, and yet we have this sort of faux debate about uh, about the fact we really want to get rid of them. I, mean, I, laugh at this, I laugh at this all the time, and it's not really laughable, but it is, it is, it is it's so ri- ridiculous to me because if you could just imagine just imagine we woke up tomorrow morning and every undocumented worker in the state of California and across the country just disappeared. Can you imagine the complaint? <laughs> I mean, it, it, it would practically shut the country down if every undocumented worker literally in 24 hours, we woke up tomorrow morning and they were just gone. So we talk a good game about immigration. And the truth of the matter is, if this community just completely disappeared, it would shut down Hollywood. It would shut down the, it would shut down the, the, the food industry. It would shut down the service industry. I mean, so we got to get serious about what we're really saying here and come up with a solution, uh, you know, some, some workable strategies around this immigration issue um, that we can live with. But, but this talk about, you know, sending everybody home, is just, it's just absurd because the impact would hit us so hard upside the head, we'd rethink it immediately. But aren't we kind of trapped between a rock and a hard place here? I mean, obviously, we aren't going to deport every undocumented worker. It would shut our economy down. I think we, we, we know that. But on the other hand, you can't, you can't excuse breaking the law. Right. I mean, and, you, and, and, and I blame us because I'll tell you what, uh, after the Vietnam War, we created uh, centers to allow people to for easy immigration, legal, easy immigration into our country. We did this after World War Two as well. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and after World War One, we did it. I mean, there's no reason we can't set up immigration centers and with all the technology we have streamline the process. I couldn't agree more. This is not a this is not a skill problem. It's a will problem. Do we have the will to do it, political and otherwise? And I think one of the things that troubles me about about the way um, we do uh, public discourse or don't do public discourse, put another way, one thing that troubles me, Rebecca, is that we 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 can't 
seem to wrap our brains around coming to policies that are reasonable. We, 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 we get caught on these, on these extremes, but we can't seem to find our way to reasonable compromise on the things that matter in this country. This is true of the immigration debate. Nobody is saying open the floodgates and let everybody in, and nobody is saying send everybody back home. But we ought to be able to find, a, find our way to a reasonable solution on this immigration issue. The same is true of gun control. Nobody's saying take away everybody's gun and you no longer have any rights. At the same time, we can't let guns continue to flood the streets of this country, and we see what the result of that is. And so we still can't find our way on gun control to reasonable public policy. And so I, it go, I go back to your book, I mean, I, which, which I love, and I was so honored to have you on my TV show to talk about that book, The Watchman's Rattle, because that's precisely what's happening in our country. The media is a part of it. The body politic is a part of it. Corporate America is certainly a part of it, but we can't find our way to reasonable conversations that lead to good public policy, and so the country at large suffers. Well, that's absolutely right. Our our public policy is not, uh, to me, is not in alignment with what technology and science can offer us to cure many of the problems that we have. Look, if you give, I just want to make this clear, if you Take an undocumented worker who's going to risk their life trying to come across the Texas border illegally in the dead of night through a shipping container with no ventilation. And you say, would you rather do that or let me make a path of least resistance for you to apply to actually come into the United States legally? They'll take the path of least resistance. It's only when you make it impossible for them to come into the country any other way. That's precisely right. I, I mean, people are not stupid. Just make, no. just, just create a process for them, and they'll use it. Well, that, that's what's so troubling. That is that we have gotten so far away from the facts um, that we get bogged down in these in these controversies and again these faux debates. I mean, yeah. my my stomach has been turned by this whole Donald Trump situation. I was on Face the Nation a couple of weeks ago when he first started this rant, and the <laughs> fact that the media, the fact that the media has played this up like it's a serious story. I mean, his facts are wrong. There is no data that suggests anywhere that there's a spike in crime because of illegal uh, immigration or undocumented workers. He took one case in San Francisco, sad though that case may have been, took one case of this woman being killed in San Francisco to demonize the entire undocumented worker community. Can you imagine what would happen if a candidate, say a black candidate for president, used the example of Dylan Roof in in Charleston, South Carolina, used that one example of that one white guy to demonize every white male in this country? The media would never have run that story. They would not have taken the bait. They wouldn't have done it. You can't demonize all white men in this country with the example of one white male. But we let this one rich, elitist white guy named Donald Trump use the example of one individual in San Francisco who, who created, who, who engaged in a heinous murder, no doubt about that, use that one example to demonize an entire undocumented worker community, and the media went for it hook, line, and sinker, uh, and they would not have done that in another situation. So I'm, my indictment of the media on that issue and so on so many others is, is well, anyway, I'm, I'm rambling off stuff. Well, you, you, we both know that the media industry has turned into a hysteria-seeking industry. And, uh, you know, if they can whip up the flames of the, uh, and the emotions of the public, uh, they're all over that just to get their ratings up. And uh, you and I have taken, a, I think, a much rougher course, which is the long format, uh, and to engage in some kind of logical and reasonable dialogue uh, in, in, in what we do in the media. So uh, we certainly share that in common, but that's a much tougher road to go. Stay right where you are. We'll be right back with more from Tavis Smiley. Have you checked Smiley. out the Costa Report blog yet? Well, what are you waiting for? There's no quicker way to find out what newsmakers are saying than the Costa Report blog at RebeccaCosta.com. It's where the former CEO of Apple and PepsiCo, John Scully, predicts where the next tech breakthroughs are going to come from. And also where Trent Lott explains why a GOP reversal of the Senate nuclear option will signal real change in our nation's capital. And the Costa Report blog is where you'll discover why Alan Dershowitz is worried that ISIS is adopting Hamas-like tactics. You'll find all this and more at the Costa Report blog. A new blog is posted every week, and they're short, pithy, and tell the unvarnished truth. Just go to RebeccaCosta.com to get the latest blog. That's RebeccaCosta.com. And while you're there, be sure to register for updates and breaking news. The Costa Report blog bringing you the news the big networks don't and won't. Hi, registered pharmacist Ben Fuchs here. I've been studying healthy bodies for 35 years, and what I've got to tell you may shock and surprise you, but if you listen up, 
it may change your life. High blood pressure or hypertension represents the body's attempts to get us out of a jam. To the body, emergencies represent the need to get away from a situation by moving the body, i.e. running, which requires the rerouting of blood and its associated oxygen and nutrients from the extremities to the muscles by closing down the circulatory system at the extremities, creating the phenomena called hypertension. The shunting and redirecting of blood flow is a function that is energized by the sympathetic nervous system that also activates the biology that causes constipation and other digestive issues, skin and immune diseases, infertility, anxiety, insomnia, rapid pulse and blood clotting, all associated with what has been called the fight or flight. One of the most significant body emergencies is suffocation, and nothing will activate the fight or flight response faster than oxygen deprivation. If you're one of the nearly 100 million Americans dealing with hypertension, you can flood your body with oxygen by practicing deep, slow breathing and quickly enjoy the powerful blood pressure-lowering effects of respiration in just a couple of minutes. Get a blood pressure cuff and take a baseline reading. Then spend 120 seconds or so slowly inhaling and exhaling deeply into the belly. Then do another reading. You'll notice an immediate drop in blood pressure and over time an equally significant reduction in all the other symptoms of an activated stress nervous system. Pharmacist Ben here urging you to go to kscohealth.com to order Beyond Tangy Tangerine, the Healthy Start Pack, and other nutritional supplements that I personally use and recommend. You can purchase these premium quality products at wholesale prices online at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. I'm the pharmacist that believes that staying healthy and strong is not only about medicine, it's about giving your body the raw materials it needs to do its work. Go to kscohealth.com. Make sure you check out the cool videos, too, at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. Money can't make you happy, but the lack of it can sure add a lot of stress to your life. Need help with your personal finances? Listen Thursday nights at 7 p.m. to Money Moves. Host Pamela Fugit Hedrick offers one hour of free tips and tools to help you manage your cash flows with her Money Moves. Each Thursday night, she discusses topics like how to prevent a complete personal financial meltdown, how to start a go-to fund for emergencies, provide ideas on how to cut back rather than cutting out some of your expenses, how to erase your debt load and financial stressors, how to find funding for your retirement, how the heck do you enroll to use health insurance, no more excuses. Money Moves can answer these questions and so much more. Tune in Money Moves with your host, Pamela Fugit-Hedrick, Thursday night from 7 to 8 p.m. to work on your Money Moves. Back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, my guest today is Tavis Smiley. So let's switch gears for a moment, and uh, let's talk about the upcoming election. Uh, In spite of endorsing Jesse Jackson as the Democratic presidential candidate in 1988, Bernie Sanders has uh, come under some recent fire for not connecting with the black and Hispanic voters. So um, if asked, what advice would you give the Sanders camp? Um, I've had, uh, I've known him for a number of years. I've had him on my program any number of times. And so certainly he's right when it comes to the issues. I think the issues that concern and uh, uh, concern most uh, black Americans and matter to them are issues if they do their research that he is on the right side of their issue. But that is a different question, as you said, uh, than connecting with them. And it, it starts with, uh, it starts with uh, spending time, spending time, asking questions, hearing hearing what their concerns are. I, I did a book, um, um, edited a book uh, almost 10 years ago. As a matter of fact, we're in February of next year celebrating celebrating the 10th, <clears throat> the 10th anniversary. I've written, what, 17 or 18 books. 19. But, you've written 19, yeah, 19 books. <laughs> you forgot how many. There's so many, you forgot yeah. how many. But this one book, um, this one book is the one that has stayed on the bestseller list the longest. It was called The Covenant with Black America. came out uh, almost 10 years ago. We'll celebrate the 10th anniversary in February of next year. And this book laid out the 10 issues that are most important to black Americans and specifically what's, what needs to be done on those issues. It hit the New York Times bestseller list, stayed off, I think, 14 or 15 weeks. Uh, it was being talked about everywhere, and this was a book where we had done the research to really get a sense of what matters most to black America. Ten years later, interestingly, most of the stuff on that list hasn't changed, sadly, in the era of Obama, 
we have lost ground on many of these issues. Black people have lost ground in every single leading economic category, even in the Obama era. And that's not to demonize or cast aspersion exclusively on him. It is to say, though, that even in the era of the first black president, we've still lost ground. So it ain't like black folk have figured this out either. Uh, but if, 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 if Senator Sanders or, or, or Secretary Clinton or anyone else really cares to know what matters to black America. They should read that book, Covenant with Black America. We're putting out a revised edition next year to, to kind of lay out what hasn't happened on these issues over the last 10 years. But it means, you know, again, spending time with people, asking the right questions, going on a listening tour, if you will. Uh, but if you care about the community, the community will care about you. People say all the time, I heard that old adage years ago that people don't really care what you know until they know that you care. So even when Bernie Sanders is right on the issues, if you haven't outreach to that community, if you don't have staff that are helping you do the outreach to that community and you don't feel connected to them, you're not going to, you're not going to get that vote. Mm -hmm. You know, it's been a decade since you uh, issued that book and sadly there hasn't been a lot of progress. In fact, it's gone a little bit backwards on, on virtually every metric. This is what's disturbing. Now, when president Obama was elected, I think that we all had a sense of hope that this was progress. I have a problem with the different administrations appointing, uh, you know, black individuals into administrative positions, almost to give us a sense that the racial biases and the racial problems are, they're, they're getting taken care of. Look, these folks are advancing. They're into like Condi Rice and I remember earlier on it was Andrew Young, and and we have all these examples. But in some ways, it it feels to me like it's placating, it's covering up the real issue here. We're we're selecting a few people, advancing yeah. them, uh, even I- as far as the the White House, and and then pretending as though that's a symptomatic of progress, yeah. while while the whole rest of the black community is going backwards. Yeah, I don't, I don't. It's a good, it's a good, good question, good analysis. I don't think it's either or. <clears throat> Excuse me, it's it's more both and. That is to say that you can have individuals of African descent who are smart, who are talented, who are worthy uh, in the office of the president, clearly, and through the cabinet and on down. So I, I, I certainly believe that um, there are African Americans who are talented to do these jobs. Number one, number two, I believe that symbolism does matter. I believe the substance matters more. Uh, but I believe the symbolism does matter. As an African-American male, I'm delighted that Barack Obama is the first. But it's no president. guarantee Absol- that, that, things will, exactly. that will, things will improve for the black community in Absolutely. the street. Absolutely. That's exactly where I was going. So symbolism matters, uh, number one. Number two, there are people who are qualified to do this. Uh, but number three, we can't stop there. And at the end of the day, your color matters less than your policy. So you could be black as the bottom of my shoe. But if your policies are wrong and black people are not being benefited by them, then what difference does it make? There was a huge debate inside the black community, you know, almost eight years ago um, when Hillary and Barack were going at it for the Democratic primary. And there were people then who were who who felt that an African-American president just could not get as much done on behalf of black people because of the constraints that he would face just because he was an African-American, so that the country wasn't really ready for an African-American president because it was a price that he was going to pay just for being black, and the ultimate price was going to be felt, the burden would be felt by the black community who didn't get much ground covered. Now, that debate is going to be raging again when Obama leaves office, and we look at this data that indicates, again, that black people lost ground in every economic category. And the question will be asked, as James Baldwin once said, Baldwin used a great phrase one time called the price of the ticket. And the question we got to wrestle with, Rebecca, is whether or not the price of the ticket, do we pay too much to get into this ball? Do we pay too much to get into this dance when you look at what did not get done in black America? Now, that doesn't mean the president didn't get anything done. But there is a serious question about what is the best route for African-Americans in this next election when it comes to getting our issues addressed. I agree. I, I and and since we're talking about the next election, and you happen to mention Donald Trump, how does the black community feel about Donald? Someone like Donald Trump, who, if we think Bernie Sanders is disconnected, yeah, I, I think I think I think the, the answer to your question is what does the black community think about Donald Trump? Yeah, much. I don't think we think about Donald Trump. <laughs> I mean, the, the truth of the matter is, Donald Trump is not an option. He, he's not an option for for black America. Quite frankly, he ain't an option for America. Never mind the polls. He's just ultimately not, he's not a real option. 
uh, on the African-American side, uh, I think Senator Sanders has a message that will resonate if he gets that message out. Um, and there are others, you know, who have messages that need to be heard. But I think at the end of the day, you know, clearly because of the relationship longstanding that uh, Mrs. Clinton has had with the African-American community, one would have to think that she's the odds-on favorite to win the overwhelming majority of the African-American vote. But again, I just don't like black voters being taken for granted. I don't like seeing black people exploited or manipulated. For that matter, I don't like seeing any American exploited or manipulated, but there's something about the black community and it's a relationship to the Democratic Party that too often gets it exploited, manipulated, and taken advantage of. Is there something to be said, and I might be going down the wrong track here, but but is there something to be said about a businessman who ignores race as an issue, who says, you know, I, I'm all about a meritocracy, you yeah. know, earn, earn your place. I don't, I don't care what color you are, how many arms or legs you have, whether you got hair or not, or moles on your nose. Uh, uh, if you can do the job, I'm hiring you. Is there something to be said about just a clean slate like that? I just don't think his hiring record bears that out, number one. I've not done the empirical research on that, but you can rest assured um, that uh, just as he uh, did everything he could to not uh, fight when he accused John McCain of being a coward, I think when the data is, is done, I don't think, having been around his operation a little bit here and there, I don't think you're going to see an overwhelming number of, of people of color who work for Donald Trump, certainly not those who run his company now watching him hang out with black folk on a TV show called Celebrity Apprentice is a very different thing than the folks who he has hired in his career. I don't think those numbers are going to be anything worth jumping up and down about. But at the end of the day, you know, I just I just don't take this candidacy seriously. Donald Trump every four years plays this game. He's gone a little farther this year than, he, than he's done in the past um, in terms of, you know, getting his, his, his feet into the into the fire. But I just don't think this this campaign has any legs. And I think Donald Trump is playing all of us like he does every year. The media's gone for it. Um, he's a, he's a bully. He's a racial arsonist, and I'm not just having, I'm, I'm not having any of it, quite frankly. Well, I'll tell you, every election we get a Michelle Bachman or okay. a Ross Perot or someone who you know I have to say at least makes it entertaining. Well, I guess I guess so. You know, we I mean, I mean, it's a serious subject, and of course, we're electing the leader of the free world, and and that's a serious topic. Right. But you know, I have to say that they they make it very interesting, and and we now have the first uh, GOP debate coming up, and and you know, it's it's anybody's call whether Trump is going to go off the rails or not. It may be the end of his his campaign for all we know. And we have to take our last break. We'll be right back after this short intermission. You're listening to the Costa Report. I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli. Where can people go to get Caraccioli Cellars wines? The best place is your computer and go to CaracccioliCellars.com and that's C-A-R-A-C-C-I-O-L-I, Cellars with a C. Or if you happen to be in the Carmel area, visit our tasting room in downtown on Dolores. We're also available in many restaurants. We're distributed in about 15 states and we direct ship to about 30. So there's a good chance that we can get it to your door. And I will tell you that the easiest way to get the wine is to go straight to the website. It makes it so convenient to have it arrive at your doorstep. I cannot tell you how many dinner parties I've had where even though you're not that far away from me, <laughs> I've ordered by mail so that the wine would arrive in time for my dinner party. And it always has. Visit the Caraccioli Tasting Room on Dolores Street in Carmel by the Sea. Or find us online at CaracccioliCellars.com or reach us by phone 831-622-7722. Biodiversity is the very fabric of our lives. It is everything around us, all of nature. But human impact is diminishing biodiversity at an alarming rate. And because of that, the intricate web of biodiversity is unraveling in ways we don't fully understand, and our world is becoming less resilient. That's why we are biodiversity advocates. We're the E.O. Wilson Biodiversity Foundation. Guided by the greatest living naturalist, E.O. Wilson, we champion research and education that expands our understanding of biodiversity and informs worldwide conservation efforts. The E.O. Wilson Biodiversity Foundation is building a movement of environmental stewards like you who share our sense of responsibility for the living world that is our home. Join us in our quest to protect biodiversity, the fabric of our lives. 
visit eowilsonfoundation.org. Hi, I'm Kay Swirling from KSEO in Santa Cruz. I'm 94 years old, and I want to draw your attention to a very important website, criticalhealthnews.com, that I strongly urge all listeners to visit. This website contains valuable health information that the pharmaceutical industry does not want you to know. Most of the prescription drugs you hear about on TV these days have side effects that are worse than the disease or condition itself, you know, like death. To me, it makes much more sense to give my body all of the 90 essential nutrients it needs to live long and stay healthy. There are some amazing articles, videos, and audio lectures by Dr. Joel Wallach and pharmacist Ben Fuchs that I believe everybody should hear. Go to criticalhealthnews.com. Coast Paper and Supply has been family-owned and operated since 1948. They have a wide array of products available, including brand-name and eco-friendly cleaning supplies, paper goods, and compostable plates, cups, and cutlery. Whether your needs are for business or home, Coast Paper and Supply's friendly and reliable staff have what you're looking for. They even accommodate special orders. You can find them at 151 Josephine on River Street in Santa Cruz, Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 4.30, or call at 831-423-3350. Coast Paper and Supply is a proud member of Think Local First. Times are changing and cannabis prohibition is coming to an end. With legalization approaching, it is obvious the time to talk cannabis is now. The Cannabis Connection opens a dialogue around all themes cannabis. Our team delivers the latest in cannabis research, news, industry, culture, and legal developments. The Cannabis Connection, connecting the dots to all things pot. Join us Friday nights from 8 to 9 on KSCO AM 1080. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and our guest today is acclaimed radio and television host, author, and philanthropist, Tavis Smiley. Now, Mr. Smiley, you have a lovely new book out, which I believe is your 19th book. I counted them all. (laughs) Can can that possibly be right? You've got to be one of the most prolific writers I know. Yeah, well, I, I, and what's funny is that writing is the thing that is most difficult for me. I mean, the radio and TV work I, I love and enjoy, and it comes, comes easier to me. The writing takes some work, but, uh, but I celebrate it when it's done. Well, I have to tell you, my hat's off to you. I get a book out about every six years, and yeah. just pathetically slow. Now, this book uh, tells about the very special relationship that you had with Maya Angelou, and uh, some of the things that you learned about yourself, and also just life in general. And one of those lessons that uh, you you talk about a great deal is pass on the love. Mm-hmm. C- can you speak to that for just a moment? Well, if Maya Angelou was anything, she was she was love. Um, and you, you have to be made of love when you are, are raped at the age of seven and for six years you go mute. You don't say a word for six years um, after that incident. She was raped by a man and uh, told her brother Bailey about the guy who raped her. The man was arrested, went to jail for one night. When he got out of jail the next day, he was beaten and killed. Uh, and she thought it was her her voice, her words that had killed man, this rapist, and of course that is the subject of her international best-selling text, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. That's, that's what the story of that book is. And um, for her to have gotten through that, after not speaking for six years, um, to say that she found her voice is the mother of all understatements. She eventually found her voice, but went on to not be embittered, but to be made better by that situation, to have learned from it, to have grown from it, and to end up being so loving and so giving so charitable and so kind to so many. Um, there's a reason why the country was just in a in a funk um, um, when the word came that she had passed away because so many people had been touched by Maya Angelou. I was just fortunate as a young, you know, black kid to have been brought into her world through some friends of mine uh, to have traveled out of the country. On my very first trip out of the country, I went to Africa with her for 10 days. I basically carried her bags around Africa for 10 days, but I was able to listen and learn uh, at her feet uh, and that trip to Africa as a young man tried to find himself, trying to discover his own 
role in the world, trying to find my own voice, trying to claim my name from the lost and found and do something with the gift and talent and skill that God had blessed me with. I didn't know what all that meant at that time. But being exposed to her as a young black man and taking this trip to Africa first, where our friendship developed, and then over the next 28 years until she died, 28 years of, 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 of literally loving and learning and laughing and just joying in her presence and having dinner, dinners together and her being on my TV and radio shows, us traveling together, just 28 years of this mother-son coming-of-age story is what this book, My Journey with Maya, is all about and the lessons I learned along the way. And the ultimate of all those lessons is to pass on the love. That's what we are here for. Um, it's about loving people and serving people. And if you don't get that in your work, if you don't get that in your life, then you've missed the point of living. It is ultimately, uh, Dr. King put it this way, life's most persistent and urgent question is what are you doing for others? Life's most persistent and urgent question is what are you doing for others? And so life to me is about loving and serving people with whatever calling, whatever our vocation is. If you ain't loving and serving people, then you've missed the point. And that's why this lesson for Maya to pass on the love was so vitally important for my life and for my work. And yet today in the world we live in, competition and pleasing ourselves seems to be such a, a big motivator. And, yeah. and, and I mean, competition is the opposite of intimacy. It's the opposite of love. You can't, you can't love people you're competing against. Yeah, you couldn't agree more. And I think I've learned, um, and I share this lesson in one of the texts, I've learned over the years that the only person that I compete with is myself. That is to say that uh, I want to make sure that every day I'm putting my best effort into whatever project I'm working on. Can I be a better talk show host? You bet I can. Can I write better books? You bet I can. What? Can I be a better employer? You bet I can. Can I be a better you know, a better friend, a better son, a better uncle. All those things are things I work at every day. So that every day you wake up, you get another chance to get it right. Every day you wake up, you get another chance to improve on what you did yesterday, what you did last week. And so it's ultimately not about competing with other people. It's about competing with yourself until you become the best person you can be in all these different areas of human interaction. Right. And and I think also when you compete with yourself, it uh, it gives you a sense of self-esteem and courage mm-hmm. to do things that you might not do. Like, for example, to get the job with uh, with Mayor Bradley. I understand you wrote a letter every oh, day. Yeah. Eight months. Eight, eight months. months you wrote a letter to him. <laughs> is, that, is that story true, That's that you great. wrote a letter to him every single day for eight That's months because you, you were going to get that job? It was either a letter or a phone call. I was in Indiana. I was at Indiana University as a student, and I wanted this internship. So for eight months, every day, I would either call his office in Los Angeles from Indiana or send him a letter. So it was, it was some, some form of communication, letter or phone call. Back then, we just had faxes. There were no email back then. So it was either a letter, uh, a fax, uh, or a phone call every single day to his office for eight months until I eventually got this internship that they had they had denied me, but I fought for it and eventually got it, and that started my relationship with Tom Bradley. And he eventually led to my coming out from Indiana to be an intern for him for a semester. Went back to Indiana to finish up my degree, moved to California to work for him, but it's that connection that got me to California back in 1985. Uh, so California's been home basically since then, but I wanted to work with him because I saw something in his leadership something in his character um, that I wanted to, to be around. I've always wanted to be around people like Tom Bradley or Maya Angelou or, or others who I could learn from. And so that's what started uh, my career. It got me to California, and here I am all these years later still trying to do the best I can with what I got. Well, this is one of the wonderful things about your particular story is that in writing to Bradley every single day or calling every day, it was just a given that you were going to wear him down, and it was a foregone conclusion you would work for him in the in that same way, you're happy to carry Maya Angelou's bags around Africa yeah. to, to learn whatever you can. And I think it's safe to say you're just a lifelong learner. You know, you, 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 you pursue knowledge, you pursue education, you want an understanding of the world. And, and what's been lovely about um, sharing the platform of uh, television and radio with you has just been to watch that process and admire it. I have to tell you, you've influenced so many radio and television hosts uh, just through your enthusiasm. Well, you're trying to say that, but I, I hope I'm a lifelong learner because that's 
what that's what brings me the greatest joy. As you know, being not just a host but being an entrepreneur, this is not easy. This isn't easy. It's heavy lifting, and I don't need anybody to play violins and feel sorry for me. Um, I do that myself sometimes. But <laughs> there, are, there are days when this is this is really heavy lifting. I'm on PBS every night, but I own that show. PBS distributes it. I own it, which means yes. I produce it. I raise all the money for it. The same thing in my radio show. And when you're trying to do this because you love people and want to serve people, it's a it's a it's a what King called once a vocation of agony. You love the vocation, but it is at times a vocation of agony. But you do it because you love it, and I do it because I learn. I sit on that show every night, and I'm learning from people. When you were on my show, I learned so much from you, and I read your book. I learned from you. So every day on TV or radio, it's about me learning. And one thing is for certain, when I go to bed at night, whether it's real or not, I don't know. But I go to bed every night at least feeling smarter. Every <laughs> yes. I go to bed, I feel like I learned something, <laughs> and that makes me feel better about my life. Well, I have that same feeling as well. Well, that's just about all the time we have today. But do you have a website where listeners can go to get more information about the book and keep track of your of your Sure. Thanks for asking. It's TavisTalks.com. Since that's all I do is talk, we call it Tavis Talks. T-A-V-I-S-T-A-L-K-S. TavisTalks.com is where you can find me. Rebecca, thanks for having me on. Thanks for the work you do. I salute you. I celebrate you. And I love you. Thank you so much. And I hope you'll come back soon. Thank you, Mr. Smiley. If your station is leaving us after the first hour and you have a question or a comment to make about our interview with Tavis Smiley or any of our other guests, you can download previous episodes of the Costa Report from Apple iTunes, Podbean, our YouTube channel and website. This week, the site features blogs from our interviews with former Secretary of Defense William Cohen about the dangers sequestration poses to the United States military, as well as a piece about our conversation with Democratic presidential candidate Lincoln Chafee. So take a moment to visit RebeccaCosta.com and and check out the weekly blog. It's posted every Monday morning. I know some people just, you know, wake up in the morning, click on the blog and have their cup of coffee. It's a very, very short and quick read and summarizes what the guest had to say that week in case you missed the program. The website's easy to remember. It's my name, RebeccaCosta.com. Next week, we'll continue to explore race relations in America and what role this is likely to play in the 2016 election civil rights leader and former candidate for the democratic nomination for the presidency mr jesse jackson will be here to talk about the benefits of a true meritocracy in america don't miss jesse jackson next week on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics now stay tuned for another hour of straight talk radio you're listening to the costa report Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 